accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run-through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called The Magnificent Ferengi. It's the 10th episode of the 6th season. Aired on January 1st, the new year of 1998. Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beemler. Directed by Chip Chalmers. In this episode, when Quark's mother Ishka is captured by the Dominion, Quark, Rom, and Nog lead a team of Ferengi into a meeting on Empok Noor with Keevan as their payment. We're joined by Clay, as always. How are you? Hmm. Good. Uh, there's a line in this episode that I feel really summed up most of it for me, which is when um, Quark turns to Rom and says, we're wasting our time here, Rom. <laughs> you didn't like this one? Uh, it was fine, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I was it was kind of boring the the killing killing the vorta guy was a nice twist but then it just got weird <laughs> afterwards <laughs> which i appreciate you know i'm always i'm always appreciate a little bit of uh uh you know reanimation via what is it? i guess the desecration of a corpse i guess i always appreciate in like a uh, uh an upbeat kind of funny episode of star trek so yeah just like a little biological manipulation of your uh, your neurons which are not quite dead yet apparently sure have you ever seen magnificent seven or uh seven? i have you have i i've never yeah, seen I lo- it is this i was looking at the trivia and they were saying the writers are saying that magnificent seven had no impact on their writing of this one, which I don't really understand why it's called the Magnificent Ferengi. If that's the case, uh, is this anything like the plot of Magnificent no. Seven? No, it's it's. I think it's only because they're put they put together a group of guys at the beginning because that's the the Magnificent Seven and the Seven Samurai are about uh, is about um a group of uh in the Seven Samurai it's a it's a samurai that is uh, hired by a small. Um, town that's being overrun by uh, bandits. Mm-hmm. I might be blending them together. Anyway, uh, the hero is hired by uh, um, a town to that's being overrun by bandits to to help defend them against the next time the bandits are coming through. And the, then the the hero that they hire puts together a team of seven to go and defend the town. Yeah. And so it's just the only the only uh, crossover there is that. It's Quark putting together a team to go rescue his his, his mom. Okay, easy enough. So, yeah, but I, like plot wise, no, it's there's nothing. Well, I you guess, don't go to an abandoned space station in uh, no. Magnificent. Uh, the only the only other close thing is that there is one guy in the Magnificent Seven who's uh, all about knives. Okay, so I mean, I don't know if that's why they added that Eliminator guy in there. Have we seen him before? <laughs> we have, but he's never been named. He he was in an episode before. Yes, in the background, I think was. Was he a knife enthusiast no, in the he, other episodes? he was not. This is the first time that they've ever mentioned his love of knives. That's, I would say maybe that's probably a, a, a callback to Magnificent Seven, but aside from that, it's, it's you know, it's not like uh, they were just doing the Magnificent Seven with dumbasses. Let's uh, take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back, and we're going to break down the Magnificent Ferengi. So, how do you plan on rescuing Moogie? You mean... How do we plan on rescuing Moogie? I don't recall you saying the Negus wanted me to go along. Maybe he doesn't, but I do. Besides, it's because your mother too. And I love her, but I can't go with you. I'm a married man. 
I have responsibilities, and my responsibilities don't want me to die. I don't want to die either, so let's just concentrate on the reward the Nagus is offering. Reward? Fifty bars of cold-pressed latinum. Fifty bars? So this one, Clay, this one's, this one's usually regarded as the best Ferengi episode out of all the Ferengi episodes. Um, okay. It's... I'd, I'd agree with you. Like, I, I don't find anything particularly engrossing about this one. Like, I like Iggy Pop, really. That's, like, the yeah, only the only thing good. that I take away from that is, like, Iggy Pop was kind of neat to have on a Star Trek episode. Um, but outside of that, I just, like, I don't know. Like, it, it, it's, it's fine. I don't think there's anything really wrong with it. It continues. We're probably just going to retread a lot of, like, Ferengi arguments about uh, about this one at this point, but... I guess the the greatest thing that I think about this one and the reason that maybe it separates DS9 from the other Star Treks a little bit is that they did manage to, in both like the Vorta representation and the Ferengi representation, this show did a pretty good job of giving those characters within the same species different characterizations between characters. Like they, mm-hmm. they, they put together a team of seven or six Ferengi, however many Ferengi there are, there's the mother too. So however many Ferengi they are, and they're all pretty different Ferengi from each other. Um, and I think that that's maybe an, an accomplishment. Like if, if this was a TNG episode, they'd all just be copy paste, copy paste Ferengi of each other. And, yeah, and yeah. they're they're you know they're characters in this you know you might not enjoy them as like well written or whatever or they don't really bring anything to the table but they are very different and it creates I would consider minor comedy between all of them and it's okay at that point. Yeah, um, I you know I thought it was nice. It was fun seeing them all in the same place, and you know you get all those different guys doing different stuff. Um, <clears throat> it was just you know. I don't know. It was. It was. I. I it's tough to be too hard on it because it's fine. You know. It's. Uh, I. I would probably agree that it's the best Ferengi episode. Um. But even still, it. It was kind of. You know, put it, putting together a team of Ferengi didn't really interest me that much, and. Uh, you know, it, it was. It was a lot of. You know, pretense. Yeah, uh, and not a ton of story. I like um, I like but- the idea of what, what <clears throat> I, I like the idea like the 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 concept of it seems pretty good to me. Like the the Ferengi have to do a commando mission to rescue somebody, but they realize that they're not good at being commandos, so they yeah, yeah. they decide to embrace their Ferengi nature, which is the wheeling and dealing thing. I I feel like the wheeling and dealing aspect is not nearly interesting enough in this. No, like it's it's not, not really it's not really some like incredibly layered. Um, executed plot that they're pulling off here with the Vorta they're they're it's just kind of like a it would be a filler negotiation plot line in any other episode it's very minor and very mild and not really intriguing there's no stakes yeah, there are stakes but there's no um there's no like rising action to the negotiations really it's mm-hmm. just kind of like mm-hmm. there and then it's over and they they escape from it so i thought it would have been a little bit better if the if the Ferengi negotiating thing was a little bit more tricky or clever or playful or something, instead it's just kind of standard. Yeah, they just they have one plan, which is to say that the dude uh, um, Kevin gave all the uh, uh, gave Starfleet a bunch of info, and then Iggy Pop is just like, "Hmm, good point. I guess you win." <laughs> You're right. There's, there's yeah. like there's no return volley at all. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. And it's funny that he didn't have them. 
the uh, Iggy Pop didn't kill them all before he learned that information, right? Because uh, up to yeah. that point when they break it, he's like, well, what's to stop me from just killing all of you? And it's like, well, why didn't he just kill all of them in the first place? Because he implies that he's going to kill Keevan or Kevin or whatever his name is when he, when they get him. So I don't know why they're very slow in uh, on the draw, why the Jem'Hadar don't just storm them from the start. But it's a minor oh, point. Oh, th- is that... Is that what that line was where he says Keevan's fate is already sealed, implying that they were going to kill him anyway? Yeah, and Keevan, when they're flying off on the shuttle to go there, is like, we're all dead anyway. None of this makes any difference. So it's Uh, strange that that they don't kill them. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah. Go ahead. Why do they have... I guess the whole whole concept had, I guess, was having me not roll my eyes, but just like wasn't really engaging me. Because like, why does the Dominion have Moogie? It was originally supposed to be Zek, the Grand Nagus, and they could not get Walsh on, so they had to uh, rewrite it to yeah. be Quark's mother. It would have worked better with Zek. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that it's the mom, because, you know, that's, that uh, that would send... I could see that sending Quark on a mission more than, than Grand Nagus, but um, still, it's like, how did they get her? Why do they have her? Why are they keeping her? Why do they care? Yeah, what, why does the you Dominion know? care about this is kind of the big... Uh, thing like I could, if it was the Nagus, I could maybe understand them seeing him as an important figure. They did, they did rewrite this. Uh, like the of Quark's mother is basically the acting Grand Nagus, you know, because she is now doing all right. the financial wheeling and dealing for the Nagus because she's shown that she's better at it than he is. Mm-hmm. But the it feels it feels like such small potatoes for the Dominion that it's weird that they're doing any of this in the first place. Like down to going to the abandoned space station, which is maybe the most. Well, I'm thankful they didn't do let's go to another barren cave set on yeah. some planet. Like just the there's really no reason why they go to Empok Nor outside of we have this existing set. Let's just use it yeah. in a different light. That's that's what I wrote in my notes. I wrote it's the same it's the same layout as Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So we don't need a new set. Right. Just empty all the people out and put some em- empty boxes around. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 just kinda that thing. And I d I don't even know if I you know I guess we can play a little bit of armchair. I'm not really super interested in the episode itself. Like, I think I think it's mostly fine. There's not really a lot that I wanted to talk about. But uh, if you want to, I was curious what you thought about the armchair psychology of Ira Bear at this point, where <laughs> why do you think he keeps going back to the Ferengi? There was, a, there was an interview I read that he did recently where they asked him what his greatest regret with DS9 was. And he said, if he, ha- if he could do it all over again, he would not try to push Ferengi comedy as much as he did. Mm. Why do you think he's? Tr- why do you think it was in his head to push this so much? It, it's they do multiple episodes a season with them. There, it's never had an episode where the mirror universe, where you could say it started off really great, and they're just trying to recapture the magic of that first episode, right. and they're failing. Right. It's never really worked, and I can't think of anything outside of Pride and him wanting to sort of stick it to the TNG fans that he continues along the track with the Ferengi, but I don't know what you thought. Did he create the Ferengi? No, he didn't. Oh, really? They oh, are. A, yeah. They're a TNG. Cre- they were supposed to be the, the big bads in TNG, but when they came out in oh, their first episode, if... people said that these guys are ridiculous. These can't be the main villains of the series. So they turned them into uh, comic relief at that point. And he, but he wasn't part of the writing team. No, or the... that was early. Okay. That was first season TNG. He wasn't hired oh, until okay. later. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know. You know, my only guess is that he found something charming about them. You know, uh, I, I think I, if, if I had to, um, 
based on no knowledge of how the show was produced or, or what he's like as a person or how he deals with stress. Uh, if I had to maybe take a guess, I would say they are sort of a stress reliever episode to write because uh, it allows the rest of the cast to take some time off and let everybody else sort of catch up a little bit. Um, and writing a Ferengi episode is not that hard. I, that, well, I shouldn't say that. That's unfair. Uh, but it's, it doesn't have the emotional weight and stakes that a uh, you know, six-part Dominion arc does. Yeah. Um, They're lightweight. Yeah, they, they also and tend I think to it, they also tend to be par- or homages to old movies that he seems to right. like. He seems yeah. to like very classic cinema, and he uses the Ferengi as kind of like he just inserts them into classic movie plots or pl- uh, classic movie ideas at least, and yeah. then goes with it. So that would tie into a kind of easier writing situation where he's just like, you know, I really like the Magnificent Seven. Let's have a Ferengi Ocean's Eleven version of that and see yeah. where it goes. Yeah, if I had to guess, I would say he was just kind of tickled with them, you know, like he because the performance, especially from like the uh, uh, someone who's behind the scenes, the performances are always pretty solid. And, you know, and you get this episode, you've got uh, Armin Shimmerman and uh, Jeffrey Combs and the guy that played Raphael in the Ninja Turtles movie, like a bunch (laughs) of like pretty solid character actors just chewing scenery. What's not from a creative standpoint? What's not to love about that? Yeah, yeah. I, Iggy I, Pop, get an excuse to have Iggy Pop on the show? What the hell? <laughs> and he doesn't even have to wear a giant fish head. Would he be better as a Ferengi or is he better as, as a Vorta? I think he's he's a pretty good Vorta, I think. Like, he has this sort he of is. weird cadence to his voice when he talks that um, it's sort of a droning, very Iggy Pop identifiable thing. But I, I think he... I think it's a hard role to tell if he does a good job acting here, but I would say that he does, not knowing him in any other acting situation. But he's he's pretty solid as, like, a sort of slimy little uh, negotiator bureaucrat here. Yeah, I thought he was good. As I, I actually thought he would be a really good either Vulcan or Romulan because his voice ha- kind of has that Vulcan cadence to it. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree um, with Vulcan. He's probably a better Vulcan than a Romulan, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was only thinking Romulan because that allows him a little bit of leeway to be a little a little more uh, animated. Loosey-goosey. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, I thought he was good. I, uh, uh, I, when I saw his name, I was like, well, well this, this could go either way. <laughs> um, but I've seen him in a couple other things and he's actually, he's actually a pretty solid actor. He was, wasn't he on, uh, the adventures of Pete and Pete? Was he as like a main, uh, as a recurring character? I think so. Let me look it up real quick. Huh? No. Yeah. I don't. Um, while you're looking that up, I, I, I don't know. I think he's pretty. He's good. He's not distracting or anything here. Uh, maybe Iggy Pop isn't like the most well-known of celebrities to be distracting or anything, but I think he d- he does a pretty good job. Uh, works reliable, ri- reliably with the dialogue he's given. He plays off Sherman pretty well. Um, he ultimately, it, it ultimately just comes down to the fact that the plot is not really particularly very interesting and no great shakes, and he's not given much to do outside of negotiate with his Ferengi at the end and then do the hostage trade-off and things but i i think that the you know maybe the strength of it is the ferengi chewing scenery between between each other because as you say it's a lot of character actors just being sort of uh over the top with it and yeah i I could have almost gone with more of the knife guy like i I thought that the knife guy was a really interesting sort of turn (laughs) because he's as quirk and rom say he's not a typical ferengi it's hard to know what he's getting out of it but i was struck by the fact that like 
the Ferengi would be the perfect race to have a bunch of hitmen in it because if they're all about profit, they should care about they wouldn't really be concerned about killing people at all. So it made like perfect sense to me that a Ferengi would be a great hitman, but they they didn't yeah. really go anywhere with it. Yeah, cuz you know, that, I mean that is a it is a good job that you can charge a lot of money for that no one else is probably going to want to do in the Ferengi uh society yeah right if you, if all you care about is the money it seems like it would be a great job for that kind of ferengi to have but they they don't really they don't they don't do anything with it and as you say if it, it's a if it's a callback to magnificent seven it makes more it feels more like he was just inserted to make that connection there yeah and uh, iggy pop was on pete and pete he was on five episodes of pete and pete and uh shit i just lost it where steve buscemi was actually on three no oh. how many episodes were there total uh, huh. there was only 39 episodes of that show i fe- it felt like it was on forever I, maybe I, they were just <laughs> they just played the same episodes over and over i guess i would have guessed there's 30. Only 39 episodes yeah because i can only i can only remember a handful of episodes so i would never remember well, that guess, there were many. Uh, maybe i'm getting maybe i'm getting my numbers all uh, out of whack based on how many star trek episodes there were but it was on from 92 to 96 it was on for four years okay which is a pretty solid run yeah 10 episodes a season or something like that. Um, I, I I think that the, you know, we've talked about the, we've talked about the Ferengi and the problems with the Ferengi and stuff like that. I, I, I think that they, I think you're probably right about Bear. I, I wonder how much of it is pride that he's just like, God damn it, I'm going to get this to work <laughs> eventually. Like mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. something I must continue to hit forward with these guys because he also, he also has kind of a, he has a little bit of a Fraggle Rock mentality, I think, too, because his TNG episode to like Captain's Holiday, which was kind of a like corny little adventure episode. And yeah, I, I think he's just he, his natural inclination. I think is towards that kind of uh, lighthearted, goofy adventure writing. And mm-hmm. I don't know if he's really in the vein of like the the serious political allegory stuff that Star Trek does sometimes. Well. Based on his beard color, I'm going to say probably he's a little bit more of a goofy guy. <laughs> he's a little bit more more uh, liberal with the, his stances on things. Yeah, I, he seems kind of he seems like he could be an eccentric person. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I just I, I I'm I'm surprised that I'm surprised they do so many of them, uh, so many Ferengi focused because I, I don't feel that they touch on any other species to the extent that they touch on the Ferengi in, in that. Every other species has its own episode dedicated to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they yeah. they dedicate two episodes a season to the Ferengi as a society, and they don't really do that with any other uh, race. They'll include characters and give them episodes, but it's not like Dax examines what it means to be a trill for two episodes every single True. season. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, I I would chalk it up also to the fact that just the Ferengi characters are are more or less part of the regular cast but they they don't really do much uh whereas you know you've got dax in every episode pretty much you've got Worf in pretty much every episode you've got kieran pretty much every episode not to mention they spend a ton of time on the on the bajorans and the and the and the klingons well wouldn't um, you say that someone like garrick is a more equivalent to a lot of the the ferengi characters where garrick is not a main cast member, but he's certainly present enough in a lot of the episodes where you know who he is. I just, sure. I feel yeah. that Garrick is just a better written character because Garrick can do things with other characters in a way that the Ferengi characters don't. You know, yeah. like Gar- yeah. Garrick brings something out of a character in a way that uh, Zach does not bring something out of Cisco. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, I, I, I would agree. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think the Ferengi episodes are just kind of like, w- w- with Garrick, he's a Cardassian and, and the show is basically half about Cardassians for the most part, at least now. So it's, they're not getting short shrift of anything. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so I would say, yeah, I think they, I think they keep going back to it because the, the characters of Quark and Ram and Nog and just the Ferengi in general tend to get short shrift. Mm. It's like, uh, you know, on, on Miami Vice, every, every season they had one episode that was just about Swytek and Zito, and it was always a pain in the ass to get through. <laughs> but it, but it was like, well, you know, what these guys do an episode. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, you know, they're always in the background. They're always, you know, doing heavy lifting background at, well, I don't know. Heavy lifting is the word, but they're, they're filling out the cast, but they're never getting any spotlight. So, you know, yeah, bring them, bring them out and give them a chance to shine and stuff like that. Yeah. They, they, Send them back to 1940s Nevada and in a spaceship or something. <laughs> but I, you know, to the episode's or 1950s. credit. 1950s. Was Roswell 1950s? I can't remember. Uh, 54, something like that, probably. That would make sense after post-World War II. Um, I thought, I thought this was like a, I thought this was an appropriate scoped episode. 47. Oh, really? That's what yeah, Roswell happened. earlier than I thought. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, now I'm thinking about the Little Green Men episode with the uh, Ferengi. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that the, I think this episode has, like, the right scope for the Ferengi thing. It comes back to whether or not I thought the concept worked for a Ferengi episode where they realize they can't be commandos. I thought the best, uh, the best joke in the whole thing was when they're doing the training on the hollow suite to try to capture Ishka back from the Jemadar. The last Ferengi just shoots Ishka at the yes. end. Um, <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good joke uh, that kind of, you know, uh, sums up their whole experience as being commandos and stuff. But outside of that, I think that the, the smaller scope helps them because they have a hard time taking them seriously as a culture in a bigger scheme of things. But I don't know. I, I wonder if being a Magnificent Seven fan would have uh, changed anything about this for me. It obviously didn't change anything for you, but it, I, I have no point of reference whatsoever. No, it was just, I think it's just a passing, a passing reference. You know, it, it, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he wrote the episode and then was like, oh yeah, well, that's kind of like that. And then just named it, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. like it, I don't think, I, it, I, I don't think it generated as being, what if we do, well, maybe it was, I don't know. You know, maybe it was on a note card of ideas with the, what if we do the Magnificent Seven, but with the Ferengi. What, did, um, I only have like one other thing really to talk <coughs> about here, but what did you, what'd you think of, um, bringing back Keevan? Um, I wasn't expecting it because the first thing I thought was they were going to give them Ducat because yes, he was the only yeah. person I remembered as being as being captured. And I was like, Jesus Christ, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a high priority well, target that the Frank you're just giving. Uh, yeah, being given, when they yeah. when they cut to uh, Kira and um, Cisco and they're like, yeah, no problem. You can do this. Uh, Kira set the whole thing up. I was like, what? They're just going to give them <laughs> Ducat to give back. <laughs> Yeah, be- I completely forgot about Keevan. Before we move on, before we move on, the other good joke I think was um, Avery Brooks plays when the when Quark and Rom break into his apartment through the the uh, Jeffrey's tube thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Avery Brooks pre- plays that moment pretty well too. I think that's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, he had to close all he had to close all the tabs on his browser real quick <laughs> when they came through. I like to just think that he's he's just sitting there staring into the void. Like they come in and he's just kind of like, yeah. "Hello, how are you? Please leave." Yeah. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out, like, well, he's, what is he doing? He's just <laughs> sitting there doing And then they leave, and it's not like he gets back to business. He just no, turns his head, head and just continues staring at the wall. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I, I have a, I'm torn about Keevan. I, I don't know how much my opinion of this is correct, where I, I like Rocks and Shoals so much, which is the one where we saw him, which he's like this really, truly like slimy character who's willing to sacrifice his own troops for his own escape and survival. Mm-hmm. And to bring him back here is both a nice touch in continuity and like it makes sense on a story level that he is as opposed to Ducat a better idea for this negotiation to go through like he's a better uh reward that the dominion would be able to get back mm-hmm. however i i don't know if it undermines what the character did in rocks and shoals to have him be this sort of goofball character here where he's he's part of this like jokey episode and I know the characters can swing back and forth between that. And I wouldn't say that it's inappropriate to have his characterization change like that, but I feel like kind of retroactively is annoying to me in Rocks and Shoals. And I wish that was the last time we'd seen him a little bit, but I, I like yeah. the actor. I like the performance and it makes sense here. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of torn about whether or not I like his inclusion. Yeah. I, um, it does, it does feel like it's just a, well, who do we have to use kind of thing? Yeah. Um, which is yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how much I, I, I understand what you're saying. I don't know how much you would get from using him again in any other circumstance. Right. Um, so I don't know if I mean if you're gonna sacrifice someone, I guess he's makes sense, but I, I do understand what you're saying that it does kind of lessen the uh the impact of what he was doing in that episode. Yeah. would would it have like, would it have ma- was it a nice enough touch to include him beyond continuity that they couldn't just bring up this is a random Vorta that we've captured and we can give him back? You, um, you feel it's better to have a be Keevan? Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I I'm probably overthinking um, it, or like I'm I'm yeah, probably, probably overestimating the impact that it has on Rocks and Shoals just because I like Rocks and Shoals so much. Yeah, and also if it's just a random Vorta, it's like, well, where'd that guy come from? Yeah. You know, that's, yep. I, um, I think if maybe it, I think you might not feel this way if they had done this in a little bit more of a, uh, less emasculating way. I don't know if emasculating is the word to use it, but if he didn't end up as a, a remote control corpse wandering around a hallway, <laughs> smacking into a pole, maybe it wouldn't seem as, uh, um, wasteful. Yeah. Disrespectful. Yes. To his character. That's, I, the I, second time, the second time they've done a, a, a body reanimation episode with Jeffrey Combs in it, and he has nothing to say about it. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, thinking back on it, they probably don't even betray his character, really. Like, he's he's pretty much the same person, I feel. He, he's not the Joker character of this. Um, the mm-hmm. closest he comes to a joke is when I think that they make the very meta joke about uh, I hate Ferengi, which I think is playing off of fan reactions to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he gets shot, he says that, and someone else says it at the very end, too. I think Iggy Pop uh, says it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would be great if the next episode started with, <laughs> we just got reports that the Dominion have destroyed Ferengi. <laughs> <laughs> is <laughs> No more tropical rainstorms to go through. It's, they're very petty, the Dominion with dealing with the Ferengi. Yeah, I mean, Keevan outside of that is is fine. I think they do... A, they, I think that... I guess I'm overestimating his impact on it. I, I don't feel that maybe people would particularly care. I don't think that they betrayed the character. I don't know if he's an important enough character where you can say that he was really betrayed in any sense of the word, but I just... I like his original appearance. It works fine here. 
um but it's kind of forgettable at the same time i do like that he dies yeah. so that's very that's a nice touch yeah I, I was kind of zoning out for most of the episode until they shot him and i was like "Ooh, i wasn't expecting that to happen yeah almost should have like, happened earlier was... right that feels like something they should have had to deal with for longer than they did where they were falsely leading the dominion to believe that they still had information that was useful to them yeah yeah because the the only thing that's really uh conflict riddled with them is that the Jem'Hadar have all their guns drawn on the door and can come in but it would it would have been nice to add a little bit of um oh shit we're also lying about what we have to give them and how are we going to get out of this uh i think doing that a little bit earlier might have added something to the uh the drama if you will yeah i think so too i um it's tough though because i think i think at that point they needed a story turn and um i'm not sure what else you would do if you killed him i mean maybe it would send the story down a different path i don't know uh killing him earlier uh but it it felt like at that point in the story they needed to throw another wrench in the mix um so it makes sense that they did it there but yeah i agree i think it um <clears throat> i think if they had done it earlier it would have added some more uh tension to what was going on and you know the fact that he's the only thing that he's lying about cork is lying about is that he gave them information yep. you know if if they get there and it's like well technically he's dead right <laughs> it it adds a little bit more um you know because if they find out about that immediately then then they, everybody gets killed versus you know just trying to work out how to do the the, the transfer at the end yeah yeah i think i think it would have been i think it would have been better what better's a i don't know if that's the word to use but i think it would have been um an additional more interesting yeah, yeah an additional a little like twist to it or something do you have anything yeah. else you want to say about this one before we uh give final thoughts um no, it's pretty silly, but it's kind of delight delightfully messed up, which I always appreciate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was fine. Let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back. We'll read some patron thoughts, and then we'll give our final thoughts. And that's it for The Magnificent Ferengi. What a touching and heartfelt reunion. I'm glad I was here to witness it. Now, where's Kivan? I wish to conclude this transaction. All in good time. But first, I need some assurances. What kind of assurances? Well, for one thing, I don't want any Jem'Hadar soldiers on this station. That would leave me in a very vulnerable position. One Vorta against six Ferengi. If it makes you feel better, these two can stay. Well, I feel safer already. So if you enjoyed the content today, you can support the show at patreon.com slash thepenskefile, and you get uh, additional content for a couple dollars a month. Also, if you're a captain tier, you get a shout-out, which I'm going to do now. So special thanks go to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David Kay, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Stephen Cobb, Tark Latif, and Will Yates. Thank you very much for supporting the show. And now we're going to read our patron thoughts. If you're a patron on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them on the podcast. And here we go. Uh, Magnificent Ferengi, point extra G. The best Ferengi episode. I'm not really sure how they make this work. Quirk forming a team to rescue Moogie is just bizarre. <laughs> I think, uh, Clay, you're gonna, these comments are interesting uh, where we thought we, we had a disagreement about the, um, 
was the last episode we did? Whatever the statistical probability, where mm. everyone else was sort of negative on the episode, but we thought it was pretty decent. Uh, this is kind of the re- 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 reverse of that. Uh, Captain Quirk says, This is probably the, one of the better Ferengi episodes. I particularly like the Ferengi hitman Lek, if only because he demonstrates that not all Ferengi are alike. Keevan's death was a great moment of dark comedy, as was his being puppeteered by Nog. Iggy Pop was as good as was good as the rival Vorta, although his character must not be the brightest bulb in the test tube to get captured by Ferengi misfits. Norman Buckwald, Magnificent Ferengi is one of those rare times that the writers and actors got comedy right. Being still a freshly new cadet is still somewhat naive. Nog asking everyone to call him Sir got my belly laughing. And hmm. Keevan's fitting end as a walking, stumbling zombie walking into a wall was hysterical. Iggy Pop made a fantastic, memorable Vorta. Either he was a quick study or he was a fan and regularly watched the show as he got up to the characteristics of the Vorta, as he got the characteristics of the Vorta down quickly. It would have been fun to see another episode with this group of Ferengi. Lek needed, Lek needed another appearance, at least. In fact, retroactively, Quark would have hired Lek and not Garrick in body parts, I'm sure. Zim Nuclear Vessel says, It's a tribute to DS9's rebooting of the Ferengi that they could put a team together in which each Ferengi is so distinct. That's a good point. I agree with that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 why I think they probably had a good time doing this one. Because it's it is kind of like they you know, like I said, they they got everybody together and it's they they have created five or how many <clears throat> excuse me, six fairly distinct personalities inside of the Ferengi, which if you think about it, is actually kind of rare compared to the other races. Yeah. No, you know, it is. All the Klingons yeah. seem to kind of do the same thing. All the Vulcans kind of seem to do the same thing. Uh, or the Cardassians the, have an example of it's like three different ones. You have like Garrick, yeah. Damar, and then Dukats, but everyone else <laughs> is just kind of a generic Cardassian. Yeah, all the giant fish head guys do the same thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Stephen Cobb says, to anyone hating on this episode, I challenge you to a fight. I'm a street-walking cheetah with a heart full of napalm. You could say I'm the runaway son of a nuclear A-bomb. And yes, this episode is kind of cheesy, but it's fun. Every bit is packed with fantastic humor. It doesn't have to be highbrow to be entertaining. The scenery is thoroughly thoroughly chewed with sharp little Ferengi teeth, and I love it. And while some may choose to search and destroy parts of this episode, I have no time to apologize for it. <laughs> well done. You know, I when I was in college, uh, I went to art school, so you know, papers weren't really an interesting thing to mm-hmm. spend my time on. Uh, I made it a point to work in as many uh, consecutive song lyrics into into uh, papers that I could. I once worked an entire first, the entire first verse of uh, shit. What the hell is that? Uh, what the hell is that Asia song? Heat of the uh, moment. Heat of the moment. Yes, I worked the entire first verse of Heat of the Moment into a, into a paper once. <laughs> Teacher's like, are you hitting on me? Um, Matthew Ross says, an homage to the Magnificent Seven minus one. The best scene for me is accidentally falling into the Cisco's office. The calm annoyance of Cisco is well played. The Vorta are best shown in their duplicitous light. Too bad Iggy Pop couldn't be seen more regularly. The running back and forth was silly. However, the acting for this comedic episode actually is less madcap than in other Ferengi episodes. It has enough serious components to make it well-rounded. Keevan's final words, I think, echo most people's feelings about the Ferengi, but this episode hits all the right notes. The Frankenstein component was play- played well, just comedic enough, which is the best summary of this story. I also, uh, I don't get into many Twitter arguments, but my my <laughs> my high point of Twitter arguing, I got into an argument with someone because I just casually mentioned that I thought foreigner was the best band ever <laughs> yeah you know 
half seriously, maybe like a third seriously. Yeah. And this person wrote back, uh, have you listened to Arcade Fire? They are the best band. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like out of nowhere it was just someone was like um have you listened to arcade fire's first album and i was like no but i've listened to four by foreigner and i <laughs> I, I basically he kept throwing stuff back at me and i was only answering him in foreigner lyrics and yep. he got very confused and very frustrated <laughs> I, I, I was like when someone someone doesn't just be an annoying ass and was like it's very difficult to say that this is the best band ever like they have a specific answer for why yes, for why yeah. your point is wrong in the first place and so, it's even better when it's one where you kind of expected it yeah you yeah. know like someone someone to come out of the woodwork on twitter and say that arcade fire is specifically to be like um excuse me arcade fire is better than foreigner it's like a uh, fucking there was a uh, a funny <laughs> this twitter this is why this platform needs to be shut down <laughs> there was a funny weird twitter thing that kind of like made me thinking where um someone had uh posted a posted a picture of uh the women's soccer team uh one of the players was uh in a picture of kissing her girlfriend while her girlfriend mm-hmm. was like in the in the stands sort of after they oh, had yeah. won yeah i saw that yeah and there was she put the caption like this player um greets a fan or something like as a headline to the to the photo <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everyone is like oh my god homophobia like gone right you know in her her follow-up tweet is you know this is me parodying this thing which is a another picture from a couple of years ago where it's another player uh hugging or kissing her girlfriend at the time and the head the official headline that was it was something like greets a fan like it was yeah. like the paper went out of their way to admit that this was a lesbian couple and mm-hmm. it, it was just such a like it's such a risky high wire. It's like a tweet goes out of control where you make a joke, but like zero yeah. people get it. And then it just blows up into this, like, why are you being so homophobic <laughs> about this? And it's yeah. just like, God damn it, guys, is anyone going to look at my, f-? no one looks up the, uh, the follow-up tweet either, you know? So yeah. it's like, no yeah. one will ever realize that, but it's, it makes you wonder, um, just like, yeah, I, I guess it's just like someone not getting what you're saying on Twitter is so so devastating. It's, there's nothing more frustrating than someone not understanding what you're talking about either. It could be your own yeah, fault, that's, I suppose. That's the definition of the platform, though, is people not understanding what the other person is saying, yeah. and then it just devolves into a fight. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think the big, well, <laughs> aside from people just being weird and oddly more confrontational when you when there's uh the separation of internet and a keyboard involved um the lack of tone ability for the most part i think that's why uh jokes and memes and stuff are so uh what's the word i'm looking for um the the what's that pervasive do you mean like uh well the 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 tone of them is so different and weird generally as far as like they end up using strange language or or you know phrasing or whatever because i think you have to go exceptionally over the top to get your tone across sure yeah because it's only Um, a few words yeah Yeah. like in 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 that instance with the uh with the greets a fan thing yeah if i i like in i like in twitter to basically like a, a school cafeteria where sure you are you have tables that you sit at with your friends and you can joke with your friends whatever but that doesn't mean that someone isn't going to walk by you and hear what you said yeah you know it's 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 a it's it's a public forum that has the illusion of privacy sure yeah uh, so 
<laughs> it has yeah. um I was like the people so who are like, who a, are you to respond to my tweet? It's like, idiot, you're on here. <laughs> what do you yeah, think this is? Like, what do you, what think do you this expect? Is? Yeah, are, you, are yeah. you just putting, uh, you're putting, you're putting this thing out there specifically because you're trying to say it to people. Yes. Yep. You know, it's like. Get a reaction. <laughs> expecting yeah. someone not to respond to it. it let's put it this way. Uh, if being surprised if someone that you don't want to respond to it responds to it is you're just being naive if yeah. you if you are legitimately surprised that that's going to happen because that comes with the territory of twitter unfortunately it's it's stupid yeah uh, but i think that's why in a, in a situation like that that uh that joke about the uh greets a fan thing you either have to be like really over the top in your sarcasm or you have to like do a side-by-side thing because especially with something like that where you know it's sort of a hot button issue you're running a real risk of of uh having exactly what happened to that person happen that's true yeah you um yeah the side-by-side probably would have been the way to go or something yeah yeah that's probably not the best crafted joke there so I, i guess you do have to be more protective of making sure that you're aware or people are aware that you're joking and you can't even do it with like a follow-up tag on tweet to it because no yeah, one will pay attention yeah. to that you have to like do it within the tweet itself it's, it's not live it's, and learn. Uh, it's we we've come a long way from the the glory days of the uh the 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 coney the coney meme where they were where they were using a picture of carl weathers from from predator <laughs> and saying we must we must find and destroy this man or whatever <laughs> that was some great stuff or or what's uh the one of Steven Spielberg standing next to the Triceratops with the the comment about like this this monster went over and killed an endangered animal or something, <laughs> and you get people that respond to it and they don't realize what they're looking at. Yeah, Samuel S says it's a Ferengi equivalent of the Avengers if they were all terrible at the job. All jokes aside, this episode is great. The slapstick comedy works in this one, which is rare for a Trek episode. The Ferengi each have distinct personalities and weren't just a group of space trolls looking for money, which really helps the humor. An example of this would be Lech just shooting Ishka. I, although I would disagree, they are just doing this all for the money. Uh, that is like right. their driving yeah, motivation. That's literally Ex- what they're doing. Yeah. Example of this would be Lech just shooting Ishka, something another Ferengi would never do. I'd agree with that. While the Vorta are written in a, written in a more lighthearted way than what's still, uh, they still come out looking menacing. Overall, it's a fun break from the serious tone of the Dominion War, and it's easily the best Ferengi episode of the show so far. Five out of five. Last comment, Kyle Barrett. At this point, you're going into going into every Ferengi episode thinking it'll be a right dog's dinner, but happily this one turned out to be the dog's bollocks. It's great fun. Seeing Iggy Pop in the show always surprises me, but the, oh, that's Iggy Pop factor is pretty Hold much- on, hold on. Which one of those is good? Dog's bollocks is good. Okay. Dog's dinner is bad. Dog's bollocks is uh, British for a, a good thing, which is interesting. English and Americans separated by the same language. <laughs> uh, the Oh, that's Iggy Pop Factor is pretty much the only thing the character has going for him. With it being Iggy, I wish they had him play a more animated character. You know, someone with a real lust for life, a real wild child, instead of just being the passenger where his performance screams, I'm bored. Oh, I did mm. that lame joke thing where I work a song title into a sentence. I hope Clay groaned loudly while you read that. Anyway, well, one- I'm going to say I'm going to say you didn't do it as well as the previous person. <laughs> I want full full lyrical uh, verses worked into it if you're going to do it and the and the last person did that fairly well. Although I don't know. I would say I would say half points for each because it wasn't the last one wasn't. Um, you just just sort of wedged him in there. It well, didn't totally. Kyle work, mentioned. But, uh, Kyle mentioned the passenger where uh, Stephen did not mention the passenger, and the passenger is Iggy Pop's best song. So there's a well, little bit but, of a difference but there. To be fa- but to be fair, who who did the first one? Uh, Stephen. 
Stephen did go back and use Stooges lyrics. So yes, gets gets a, a big plus for that one. <laughs> anyway, one of the best Varangi episodes topped maybe on, uh, maybe by only profit motive from season three. I'm sure I'm alone on that particular island. Ah, uh, they're probably the similar for me. It, it's tough to say. This is maybe, maybe I'd just go with the consensus and say this is the best Ferengi episode, but it's very hard to say. Anyway, thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts. Thank you for supporting the show. Much appreciated. Clay, on our scale of one to five, what are you going to give the magnificent Ferengi? Um, we'll give it a three. Yeah. Three for me as well. Yeah. Definitely. We've said this before about episodes. I'd say this is definitionally a three. Like this is just, yeah. this is just a yeah. three. It's, it's sometimes Solid it's easier three. to see what a three is than a two or a four. I think I've said that before, but you just know a three when you see it. Yeah. It's, it's just like just outside the plate. Nobody's swinging at it. Right. It was, it was a good, a good, a good sacrifice pitch to get someone to try and, you to look try back and swing at, at an you Aaron look back ball. at the umpire and he kind of shrugs at you. After yeah. Aaron comes over, you're like, you're like, yeah. <laughs> a nice, a nice, uh, uh, a nice, of zero and two count, throw that <laughs> throw that next ball just to see if he goes for it. Right, <laughs> a little chin music. Uh, yeah, threes for both me and Clay. So thank you very much, guys, for uh, supporting the show. And you can check out all the social media links all down below. And we will be back next uh, couple days with what is it after this waltz? Right. So Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we head out? Um, just get again, got a Kickstarter coming at the end of the month for my, uh, World War One Vikings comic called Bloody Hell, which is, uh, is going to be fun. I, you know, I've, I've wondered, I've wondered if it's going to, uh, <laughs> I don't know how it works as far as using, um, cultural slang swears as titles, mm-hmm. uh, because... <laughs> Because, like, you know, you know, when Austin Powers to the spy who shagged me came out, like, nobody cared that that was the title in America, but in England, it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, I'm wondering if I'll get any blowback for using the, uh, uh, the bloody hell phrasing <laughs> as the title of my book. Is it like if there was just a book on the shelves in, in England that just said fuck on the title? <laughs> well, it's the, uh, the Supreme Court made that uh, decision. You can say that at this point. Oh, awesome. Great. I'm happy about that. But I, yeah, I actually just shot my Kickstarter video. It does feature the axe, even though I can't use it in the way that I wanted to use it. I'm going to have to find a uh, uh, subversive way to get someone to pay me for an axe with a drop. Cool. Guys, check it out. And uh, we'll be back in a couple days with Waltz. See ya. 